the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to this 820 AM The Word broadcast special, Heart of the City. Pastors, ministry leaders, and churches have received a call to serve their communities with the love and compassion of Christ. The call is from God's heart to the heart of the city. This is Heart of the City. I'm Chuck Olmstead, the Director of Local Ministry Development for 820 AM The Word. My special guest today is Pastor Steve Jameson. He's the senior pastor of East Ridge Church here in Issaquah. Pastor Steve, welcome to Heart of the City. Thank you, Chuck. It's good to be with you again. Well, I'm sitting here in your office, and we're looking out over the mountains and part of the Issaquah Plateau, and it's a, it's a, a beautiful place and a, and a beautiful facility you have here Thank in East you. Ridge. Thank you. I yeah. appreciate that. You all have been in this building. I was here for the dedication, so it's been how many years now? Uh, I, eight years. Eight years. Eight years year. in this building, yeah. and of course you were farther about, oh, I don't know, a quarter of a mile away at another facility for how many more years has that been? Uh, that facility, I believe, was built in like 1992, 1993, somewhere in there. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And then really the church started 54 years ago right across the street from where we are. And uh, that's now a Montessori school. We kind of affectionately call it the Pizza Hut building because that's what it looks like as an old Pizza Hut. Uh-huh. But uh, they moved out of that small building, uh, just like you say, about a quarter of a mile down the road, and uh, built a nice multi-purpose building that would have seating for about 300 people and uh, maybe 350 at the very max. And then um, we started the project of, of building this building, and we moved in in, in 2010. So. Yeah, well, I tell you what, it is a gorgeous facility, and and when I talk uh, to folks about churches out in this area, I always mention Eastridge because, you know, it's it's a great body of believers. It's also a beautiful facility, which makes it nice. Well, I appreciate that. You know, the the, the word even the word facility, uh, when you get down to what facility, it comes out of facilitate, and to facilitate means to cause ease, to make something. Uh, you know, easier to accomplish. And that's really all this building is. is It's a facility for God to do his work in people's lives. And we just see it that way. It's a great tool. We're very thankful for it. It was kind of a near-death experience to get it uh, (laughs) with all of the things we went through for Mm -hmm. a period of time. But it is a great tool. It opens the door. It causes ease for us to be able to reach people and minister to them. And we're actually gearing up to do a phase two now uh, because as the church just continues to grow and the ministries expand, uh, we need more space. So that's mm-hmm. a it's a good problem, uh, yeah. and uh, it's a new adventure that we're embarking on. You know, you use the word tool and for this building, this facility, and it it really is true, isn't it? That it is simply a tool. When we when we view it that way, we don't we see it as a vehicle for ministry. It's kind of like what radio is or any other communications tool. It is a tool. It's not the end purpose. It's a way to get to the purpose of communicating the gospel. Yes, absolutely. We all know uh, the church is not a building. The church is is God's body. We're the people of God. But uh, it does help to have a great opportunity to bring people together, 
to have functional space to be able to uh, facilitate ministry, make it yeah. happen. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, well, as I was sharing with you earlier, Heart of the City, it's a program about uh, telling the story of how people came to faith and then how the Lord called them. So I'd love for you to share a little bit about your your beginnings in life and uh, what life was like for you back as a child, So and then go from there. Okay, great. Well, you know, I grew up in a, a Christian home, and I tell people all the time that I was really blessed to grow up in a home where I could not have been loved any more than I was loved. I, uh, My mom and dad are still alive and doing well. Uh, and they they were first-generation Christians, both of them, uh, meaning that on neither side did they grow up where their families were serving God. In fact, on my mother's side, um, both my grandparents, my mother, my, my mom's mom and dad, uh, were both alcoholics. And um, so my mom and her brother and sister went through a lot of pain growing up in that home. And, uh, you know, when my mom was... Um, at a certain age, uh, she was invited by some friends to go and and uh, attend basically what was a an evangelistic event. And um, when she was there, uh, she had a lot of pain in her heart, but she heard a message of how God could change, how God could bring transformation. And even though it sounded a little bit too good to be true, uh, she made the steps and went down to the front and, and made a commitment to the Lord. And that began just an amazing change, not only in her uh, but the rest of her family, you know, would come to the Lord as well. And then she met my dad and she shared her new faith with him. And he was in a place in his life where he was ready for change. Uh, he'd been serving in the military. Uh, he'd actually been in uh, a hospital for over a year, uh, in recovery. And, and, uh, so he was really ready. His heart was ready. The two of them, uh, both came to Christ later. They decided to to be married. And, uh, when they built their family, they made the decision. We want to raise our family different than we were raised. We want our family to be raised in church. We want our kids to experience what it is to have faith in their life and, and what it is to have a godly home. Mm. And, uh, so these two, uh, you know, these two young people, uh, began that journey of faith together and they just, you know, were growing in their lives, growing in their faith just day by day. But as we as we came along as as kids, uh, it was very real in their lives. My dad was a commercial fisherman, uh, so from the time I was ten years old, I went to sea with my dad. Wow! So obviously, you were living in the Northwest. Yeah, I was. In- I was raised in Anacortes. Okay. I always say that's where God lives. That uh, <laughs> it's a. I was. My heart will always be, uh, you know, in Anacortes. But yeah. Um, yeah, so I started fishing with my dad when I was 10 years old. And I'm talking about off the coast. I'm talking about I started tuna fishing all up and down the West Coast. And wow. My dad and I would go out to sea uh, sometimes three, four weeks. One trip, uh, we were 40 days at sea without seeing land, mm. just the two of us. And uh, so my dad and I are very close. We spent a lot of time together. Wow. Then we fished a second um, uh, uh, fishery, which was up in Alaska. We long-lined halibut one of the toughest fisheries in the world. And uh, we fished up on all the way up into the Aleutian Islands. So, Wow. Working with your father. My my dad was a, a part-time painter, house painter. And I just remember as a kid, I mean, that's how we got to know our dad. My dad, you know, was, you know, we delivered papers as as kids, but then also we painted houses with my dad and we worked together. There is something of value, isn't there, about working with your father? Oh, I mean, it's it was an amazing experience, especially to be 
in a tough environment and really basically one that's a pretty ungodly environment. And to watch my dad navigate that uh, with a life of integrity, even a life of faith, uh, to see him. When we were fishing in Alaska, we had a six-man crew, and my dad was always uh, the guy that, that would give you a second chance. Mm. He was the guy that would give you the shirt off his back. He was, he was always there just really living out his faith, and, um, and that was always in the middle of, of what he was doing. He was always in that place of, of just simply looking for an opportunity that his life could make a difference in somebody else's. And so it, it was a great thing for me to grow up in that environment, hard work, a dangerous situation. And yet, you know, my dad, even when we would leave port, he would take me in and, and take me in the stateroom, talk to me, show me charts of where we we're going to be traveling. And then he would say, let's just even lay our hands on these charts and, and let's pray for God to watch over us and let's pray for God to provide for us. So, wow. 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 What an impact on a young yeah, life. It was amazing. <laughs> no kidding. So what was your spiritual formation like? Obviously, you, you were being modeled a, 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 a godly man. Um, was there a point in time in your life that you came to faith, or was it just a, a slow kind of a osmosis kind of a thing in your life where you just knew that you needed Jesus in your life? Well, I think it was, I think it was actually both, and they mm -hmm. came at different places in my life. Uh, growing up in church, growing up in a godly family— uh, to know the Lord was um, like as natural as breathing. I mean, I can't remember ever having a time in my life when I did not believe that uh, God was real, that he had created us, he made us with purpose, and that we were called to a living relationship with him. Uh, but, you know, like a lot of other people, uh, I journeyed through my life, and I came really to a place, I think I was about 19 years old, where I came to a real fork in the road in my life. Uh, as a young guy, I, I was making good money. When I was a teenager uh, fishing in Alaska uh, in a summer, because we were a good boat, I was making as much money as a lot of my friends' parents were making. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I, you know, I started getting to that place where uh, I thought that you know, I was invincible and all those different things. And and, and there began a, a period where I would say there was drift in my life. And I, everybody who knew me would say, oh, yeah, he's a good guy. And, uh, and yet I knew in my own heart that there was a place of drift. And, and I knew I was being confronted by the Lord that I needed to, I was at a fork in the road, and I really need to make a decision. Was I really going to serve the Lord all out, or would I allow this, this kind of spiritual drift mm -hmm. to really you know, impact my future? And, um, and, you know, by God's grace, I, I made that decision that I wanted to, to, you know, at that fork in the road, I wanted to be taking the right, the right yeah. turn. Well, I think that's the tendency of all men, isn't it? That uh, there comes a time where we've got to decide whether we're self-sufficient and going to live in our own power and our own strength, or if you were going to uh, focus on what the Lord's done in our lives and, and on him. Yeah, that's right. That's yeah, good. Yeah. And so, um... So after age nineteen and you're 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 pretty much uh, squared away. Uh, you're, are you thinking, "Hey, I'm probably going to be a fisherman the rest of my life, like my dad"? Well, you know, my dad was a good fisherman, and um, uh, the opportunity was there for me. You know, he told me all of my life. He said, "You know, the most important thing you could ever do is be a man of God, serve God, put Him first, 
and then do what you love to do and and God will bless that and um, so you know for me it was great because I was making really good money in just a few months and so my in my mind I was thinking you know I'm gonna do this I could own my own boat even my dad offered to help me even financially get started in my own in my own business and par- partner with him basically and then in the off season I thought I would just you know go finish my my education and uh, probably go down the, the area of law. And uh, so I kind of thought I could juggle both worlds, mm-hmm. you know. And um, so that that's where I was headed. Yeah. So where were you going to school? Um, well, I was just preparing right. and, um, you know, just basically in my under undergrad stuff. And mm-hmm. um, so that's that's really when God got, got a hold of my heart there. Yeah. So, well, tell me about it. Um well, the number one thing that happened to me was I was uh, fishing in Alaska, and um, we're longlining halibut, and it's, uh, like I said earlier, it's one of the toughest fisheries in the world. We're laying on the bottom of the ocean 20 miles of gear every single day. We're uh, fishing 5,000 hooks every day. So that means we have to cut 5,000 pieces of bait. We have to place 5,000 pieces of bait on hooks, and and then everything that came up that wasn't a halibut, you know, rockfish, eels, whatever it was, we would fillet it both sides of the backbone, chop it into bait. And then the halibut, we had to dress, we had to scrape, and then we put it below decks. And we, even though the boat was refrigerated and you could have froze those fish as hard as rocks, with halibut, it, you have to sell it as a fresh fish. So everything had to be on ice. Mm-hmm. So we would take about 10, 12 tons of ice and we'd have to individually pack these fish full of ice in their stomach. So it's an all-out grind. I mean, you're out there 20 hours a day. You're out on the ocean. You're not going into port. And uh, you're just pouring your life out uh, in the midst of that. And we were on a trip where day after day, we were going through all that work. And we were hauling up nothing but empty hooks. And, uh, you know, my dad and I were Christians. There's four other guys on the boat, and they weren't. And, uh, you know... Their, their bodies are aching, they're frustrated, their language is bad. <laughs> and, uh, but, you know, my dad said, you know, we're just going to take a chance. We're just going to haul all of our gear up and we're going to move 24 hours. And we're just going to try to salvage the last few days of this trip and basically just even try to make our expenses. Mm-hmm. And so the benefit of that was we were all exhausted and it only took one guy to be navigating the boat. We call it wheel watch. Only one guy on wheel watch. And the rest of us were able to get into our bunks. Uh, the rough, the weather was pretty rough, so we were like packing ourselves in our bunks with life jackets and pillows and stuff, so we didn't wouldn't get pitched out in the midst of those seas. But we were so exhausted. I mean, you just lay your head down, you're instantly gone. And uh, so I got in my bunk and and I fell asleep. And I don't give even to this day. I don't give much credence to dreams. Um, but that one particular night in Alaska. Uh, I had a dream, and it was a very distinct. In fact, I knew it was more than a dream. The moment it was even happening in my in my experience, I, I knew it was really an encounter with God. I'd never thought about being a preacher. Didn't want to be a preacher. It was like the last thing on my agenda. And um, but in this little dream, uh, I saw myself preaching, and I was outdoors. Uh, it was kind of a nondescript situation. I couldn't tell you if it was a large high school, small college. But there was a grandstand, cinder rock, infield, and I was on a stage, and people were coming out of the grandstands, coming across the cinder rock, coming into the infield, and making decisions to follow Christ. 
And it was such a profound moment that I woke up and I mean, I was just startled. And, um, and I, I, like I said, I knew it was, it was more than a dream. It was an encounter. And so, uh, it's kind of weird to think about now or talk about, but I kind of went into a negotiating mode right there. (laughs) And I was like, you know, God, if you want me to do this, you know, I'm not making any money on this trip and you want me to go and, you know, do this. And, and it was like the Lord just whispered in my soul and said, money, is that it? Is that the distinguishing thing is money? I can deal with money. Mm -hmm. And, uh, so I, I got up a few minutes later, um, our boat, normally we would not even, uh, eat together as a crew. One guy would go in and would eat breakfast, lunch, or dinner, and just get right back out on the decks and get to work. But because we were traveling, the boat started slowing down. It was about 4.30 in the morning, and we decided we were all going to have one one meal together, and then we're going to go after the last few days and just do our best. And and I got up, and I walked in there, and all these guys are older than me, and, and uh, I said, man, we're going to nail them today. And they're like, oh, yeah? What makes you think so? And I wasn't about to tell them I had a dream. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I just told them, I just think today, I just think today's our day. We're going to nail them. And, you know, the truth was we dropped our gear. When it came time to haul it, we were catching fish like nothing we'd ever seen. Huh. And in the, like the last three days we had uh, on that trip, we not only caught enough fish to make our expenses, but we actually filled the boat to capacity in just what would normally take anywhere 15 to 18 days we did it in like three wow now and, if you tell me it was 153 which is <laughs> <laughs> no it's a whole lot more than that a whole lot more than that, lot more than that I, yeah you remember when jesus had him fill the oh, boat yeah, it was 153 yeah. so but a lot more halibut than that yeah and i i went home from that trip because uh, we were required back in those days uh you couldn't be on the ocean for seven days after you've sold fish and the coast guard would fly over you know over the ocean and, and keep track of what boats are out there. So like a lot of other crews, we flew to Seattle for seven days and then went back up and I made another trip and we did really well. And then I went out tuna fishing and did well during the summer. And, uh, and I went home and, um, I bought, uh, I'm 19 years old right? and I bought a duplex that was right off the beach in Anacortes just, just before it was even being finished. And, I bought a new car, I bought a new motorcycle, and I did everything I could to just suppress <laughs> this encounter. I just huh. kind of, yeah, that didn't really happen. You know what I mean? I just kind of... You never told your dad about it? I, or well, I think I did tell him, but I, I just, you know, I tried to dismiss it. Right. And, um, but every time I went to church, I would sit in church, and I would just feel like my stomach was kind of knotted up, and it didn't matter what my, pre- what my pastor was preaching on. He could be, pa- he could be preaching on family you know, you, you pick any topic and I only heard one thing. I was sitting there and I just kept hearing, why are you here? You're supposed to be preparing yourself. You're, you've been called hmm. and, uh, you're out of the will of God. What are you doing here? Wow. And, uh, so finally one day, uh, I just, I just yielded. I, I, I went to my house and I just, after church, I just got on my knees and I, I just asked God to forgive my rebellious heart. And, uh, the next day I called and, and I enrolled at Northwest University and signed up for the, you know, the ministry track mm-hmm. and then, and I went to Northwest. Wow. Well, we have about five minutes. So out of that, uh, comes a, a call to the ministry, but 
did you th- uh, think it was going to be uh, like a pastoring a church or you didn't know? You just knew that the Lord was calling you to do something. Well, the first thing that I felt was that he had called me into ministry. And the first thing I felt was that that ministry would involve um, what I had seen, that I was, you know, to do evangelism. And um, so as I went to Northwest and I, I attended Cedar Park Church at that time and mm-hmm. I was an intern and and then um, Pastor Joe Feet, and back in that time, he said to me, you need to pray for God to open the door for you to go into a church. You need to really learn a church before you can go speak in other churches. And and so I did that, and I became a youth pastor, and, and I really learned a lot about the church. And um, and then I, um, you know, my wife and I um, felt that it was time, and we actually went out on the road, and we began to preach and go to different churches. And, and um, probably the last thing I would say is that years later down the road, um, we did a jamming event and KG and W you were a part mm-hmm. of that, but an evangelistic outreach. And this one was in Safeco field and it was in 2001 and it was the first non-baseball event, uh, public event in Safeco field. And we had a stage set up at second base. And that day, uh, after nine 11, um, I was giving the altar call and I was watching people stream out of the, out of the grandstand and they were crossing the cinder rock and they were coming down into that infield. And I just thought, just had a moment, hadn't even thought about that. And it was just like the Lord just used that moment to just kind of just speak something to me and say, see what happened because you chose to follow. You know, back in that day when I was out in the Aleutian Islands, he didn't show me uh, a safe co field that I would be preaching in. He showed me a nondescript place, but he called me to just, you know, follow him. There's a lesson to learn in that, isn't that, that I'm sure that there are people listening today who the Lord's given them some sort of a prompting, whether it's a vision or just a thought or someone has said something to them that spurred it on them, and maybe they haven't seen that come to pass. How many years would you say it was from the time you had had that vision at 19 years old until that Safeco experience? How many years? Yeah, that would be a number of years. Um, uh, man, you're just aging me here. Um, <laughs> probably close to 30. It probably was 25, 25, 30 there. years, yeah. you know? Yeah. And the, so there's something to, to learn and understand from that, isn't it? Yeah. That, that the Lord, there's, there's a season where he, he prompts you and then there may be months, days, years before that actual becomes a reality, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, you know, we started doing jamming events, uh, years earlier than Safeco. So we were doing events. We did Madison Square Garden. We did these different ones. But um, the thing that was most important to me was where it was just like the Lord gave you a wink and just said, see, I tucked that inside your soul. Mm -hmm. And um, it was part of your journey. And it's not that preaching in Safeco Field or any of these other places was what was important. What was important was being obedient, just yielding. If I hadn't come to that place at the fork in the road that we've talked about, Mm -hmm. if I hadn't even just gotten on my knees and repented of having a rebellious heart, none of those good things would have ever come to pass. And I probably would have lived a life that was all about making money instead of a life that has been committed more to saying, God, would you, would you help me, uh, serve your purpose and uh, build your church? Well, Pastor Steve, we've got one minute left, and I just want to say that if, if you want to get a hold of, of Pastor Steve Jameson or find out more about Eastridge 
church, you can go to eastridgetoday.com is your website and uh, check out the services, uh, service times and learn a little bit more about it. Well, we, have, we have a campus not only here in, in Issaquah, but we also have a campus in West Seattle. Uh-huh. And then for great convenience, we have another one that uh, we have a third campus in Addis Ababa, Ethiopia. So if you're planning on going to Ethiopia, we've got you set up too. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Next time in, I'm in Ethiopia, I'll, I'll be sure and stop by. It's a great church. <laughs> Pastor Steve Jameson, I want to thank you for joining me today on Heart of the City. God bless you. Thank you, Chuck. Appreciate it. God bless you. You've been listening to this 820 AM, the word special heart of the city. For more information on how your pastor or your ministry can be featured on 820 AM, the word, call Chuck Olmstead, 206-269-6216, or go to thewordseattle.com. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.